unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my For us to go ahead and get started tonight, if we can, please. I know our crowd's a little bit off tonight. I guess that's expected uh, due to the weather, but we are certainly honored that you're here, and uh, we're especially glad that if you're visiting with us tonight, we want to let you know how glad we are that you're here. Uh, as far as announcements go tonight, please make sure you pick up one of the bulletins uh, before you leave. You'll find the updated. Uh, information on those who are sick and so forth, as well as other information. I do want to mention the Freed Hardeman University lectureship that's scheduled to begin on Sunday night. Uh, there's some information about that on the front of the bulletin. So, uh, you know, that's a wonderful opportunity for people here to be so close to such a wonderful lectureship that a lot of people travel hundreds of miles to attend. So try to take advantage of that if at all possible. As far as our youth goes, uh, Lads to Leaders Bible Bowl will meet at 415, and your convention fee is also due. I do want to remind our men, the men's breakfast is this Sunday morning at 8 o'clock in the annex, and there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. If you would sign that, if you plan to come, uh, Jody posted what they're having. And, uh, you know, the word two words, Shoney's Buffet kind of popped in my mind, exactly what it looked like, all the stuff that they were going to fix for Sunday. So I'm getting excited about that. So uh, men, you know, come and enjoy the fellowship. That's the main thing. And uh, the food's good as well. And uh, it'll be a wonderful time. Also, we want to extend our deepest sympathy to the family of our own sister, uh, Bernice Voiles, who passed away on Monday. Uh, Sister Voiles is Emily Kendrick's grandmother, 
and uh, at 100 years old, she was Boonville's oldest member. Uh, visitation uh, for the family is going to be this coming Saturday uh, at the Memorial Funeral Home in Corinth at 12, from 12 until 2, and the funeral service for Sister Voiles will follow at 2. Also, we again want to extend our deepest sympathy to Brother Jim Estes and his family and the death of his Aunt Jackie Estes. That funeral was this past Saturday. Again, we want to congratulate Drew and Katie Bruce and uh, the birth of uh, Annie Catherine. And of course, they're now home and everybody seems to be doing much better. And we want to continue to pray for her as she has some follow-up visits, that is, uh, Katie to the doctor and the baby as well. But please remember them in your prayers. As far as our food pantry and clothes closet, uh, we'll do that next Thursday. But the item this week, the food pantry item is cooking oil. You could really help a lot uh, by bringing uh, that uh, and we would much appreciate that. Also, I want to highly commend you folks for uh, your generous contribution toward benevolence this past Sunday, uh, $26,270 thus far was given toward that effort. And I think that says a lot about uh, you. It says a lot about your concern about those that are much less fortunate. And uh, I appreciate that. I know the elders very much appreciate that. And I know a lot of good's gonna come from that. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, reach souls that we otherwise couldn't as a result. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight for our devotional. Uh, Brandon Elliott's going to be leading our singing, and uh, Jonathan Farr, at the appropriate time, will lead us in our prayer. Good evening. If you have a, we'll take a songbook and mark the invitation song. It'll be number 902. And for our first song tonight, we'll sing uh, number 47. Number 47, Holy Holy Ghost, we'll sing the first and last verse. Please be a song before our prayer. Holy, Holy. get older, there's one profound thing that continues to impact me, and that is the mortality of us as human beings. We know the Bible teaches that, you know, life is like a vapor. It's here for a little while, and then it vanishes away. But I wonder sometimes if we really understand our mortality here as human beings. 
The mortality of man isn't pictured any clearer, I believe, than it is over in Genesis chapter 5 as we find the historical chronicle of men's lives. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 5. All the days of Adam were 930 years, and he died. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and then he died. All the days of Enoch were 905 years, and then he died. All the days of Canaan were 100 years, and then he died. All the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and then he died. All the days of Jared were 962 years, and then he died. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and then he died. All the days of Lamech were 777 years, and then he died. You know, one day, family and friends are going to maybe sit around, and they're going to recall things about our lives. They're going to reflect on maybe the impact we had on their lives. And no matter what is said, the stories about your life is going to conclude with the words, and then he died. Death is something that's common to us all. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so tonight, I hope you'll think about where you're going to be then. Because death is a reality that we cannot escape. And therefore, I think it's our duty to live our lives in a way to always bring glory and honor to our God in every way that we live. Tonight, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. And I hope all of us here tonight are prepared for that day in which we will leave this earth. We don't know when it's going to be. We have no guarantees. You may need to come tonight and obey the gospel to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe there are things that have come between you and a right relationship with God, and you may need to come tonight and make those things corrected. And so tonight, if you need to respond to heaven's invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. of Jesus Loves Me, number 1014. Yeah, we got a prayer. Sorry about that. We're going to have a prayer right now, and then we'll go to class. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for all that you've given us, Heavenly Father. We pray that you will 
be with us as we go to our classes in a few moments. Pray that you'll be with the teachers and help them to be prepared for the, help them deliver the things that they have prepared. I pray that we will learn much from being here this this evening, Heavenly Father, and bless us as we go throughout this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Number 10-14. Good to see all of you out and about, especially on this cold and dreary evening. Uh, and I know there are some that are not with us for that very reason, but uh, whether you're here in person or watching our live stream via the internet, we are glad that you are here with us. And for those that are not here in person, we hope and we pray that you will be able to be here soon. We're going to begin this evening, uh, for this quarter, a study of the uh, book of Romans. It's one that I know has certainly been challenging to me at times and in uh, various ways, but it's also very beneficial, and it's my hope that you will derive some benefit uh, from this study as well. And what we're going to do here this evening for our time together is I'll have a very brief introduction uh, to the book of Romans and then as time permits we will go on into the text of chapter 1 and we'll just see how far we can get. Uh, but before we uh, do that I would like to take a moment and open with a uh, word of prayer and uh, Luther would you mind to lead us in that? Our Father in heaven, we give that thanks for the blessing of being able to assemble here together this evening, open up pages of thy word and study from the Father. We pray that we take the things that we have studied and live them out every day by day. At thy blessing of film Adam as he teaches the class, after they give him a good remembrance of things he had prepared, Father. And pray that they do much good in our kingdom, Father. We pray for those that are sick, that our neighbor be with us, Father, for those who have asked to enter in our prayers, Father. I think that they were blessed in our study and forgive us any sin that we might have against us in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. All right, well, before we, before we really do a lot in Romans, another passage I want us to uh, consider here very briefly and I think you'll see the pertinence of this as we get into our study. But if you would, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll look here 
together at verses 15 and uh, 16. And uh, I guess per our custom, uh, Rick, would you mind to read that for us? And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstoppable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate that. I want you to think especially about uh, verse 16. And I want you to notice his wording. He says, things that are hard to be understood. The book of Romans is very challenging at times. He didn't say impossible to understand. He said hard to understand. So let's make note thereof that difference. And then verse 16 as well uh, the untaught, or some translations say ignorant and unstable, twist to their own destruction. I cannot think, and maybe I'm mistaken, but I cannot think of any section of Scripture from where more, for whatever reasons, false doctrines have arisen than from a misunderstanding of the book of Romans. And we'll, we'll, we will be looking at some of those uh, periodically as we go through, but keep that passage in mind as we go through this study, and I'm sure we will be referring back to it from time to time. With that having been said, again, we'll uh, very briefly introduce the uh, book of Romans, and then we will go on into uh, chapter 1. And of course, we know uh, the penman identified, he identifies himself in verse 1 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul. So there is no ambiguity uh, there about that. Who did he write it to? Well, obviously he wrote it uh, to the Christians residing in the uh, city of Rome somewhere in the mid-first century. Uh, it's typically placed somewhere around 54 to 58 uh, A.D., somewhere in that uh, time period. Now, what is interesting about the book of Romans as well is we don't really have any background information as to when or how the church in Rome was established. Now, we do have some information that can give us a little bit of insight. Uh, you recall Acts chapter 2 and verse 10, all of the nations that are represented uh, there in Jerusalem, it is very likely and very possible uh, that perhaps some of the, those early converts took that message back to Rome and thus established the church there. Uh, we know from verse 8 of chapter 1 uh, that they were strong in their faith, uh, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And we can qualify that by saying probably the known world or even more specifically within the realm of the Roman Empire. And of course, it was very vast indeed. Uh, we see from verses 11 through 15 of chapter 1 that Paul had a very long-standing desire uh, to visit, and he explains why. He says, so that I may impart to you some gift. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that. And we know uh, that he, from other writings, we know that there were Christians reciting even uh, among Caesar, Caesar's household, uh, Philippians 4, verse 22, for example. Uh, and then at the end of Romans, uh, Romans 16 and verse 23, in those final greetings, uh, Paul refers to one known as Erastus, whom he identifies as the city treasurer. All right, so uh, this was Christianity, obviously, especially in the first century, was very uh, influential and 
uh, perhaps had no greater influence than it did in the city and the immediate area of Rome. Now let us consider why he wrote the book of Romans, why this epistle uh, was penned. I have five things here that I'll give you briefly uh, for consideration. Uh, Number one being to show the power of the gospel, chapter 1 and verse 16. Two, to establish that all are without excuse. Uh, We'll see chapter 1 and verse 20 and chapter 2 and verse 1. Thirdly, that all have sinned, chapter 3 and verse 23. He establishes the cost of sin, chapter 6 and verse 23. And to show proper conduct, chapter 12 and verse 2. And so we see uh, there really are, broadly speaking, two sections uh, to the book of Romans. Uh, Chapters 1 through 11 establish what I call the doctrinal section. And uh, we'll see, of course, as we go in, he gets into some very uh, deep and heavy matters. And we will see more of that as we continue. And then... Chapters 12 through 16, uh, we see what myself and many others would consider the practical section. And so think about it like this. He takes what these doctrines are, and then he shows practical ways in which those things can be applied to the life of a Christian. And it's also important to mention as well in the context who he is addressing. Last quarter when I was teaching this next door, the question was asked, was he writing to Jews and Gentiles? I said yes and no. Mm-hmm. And we'll see things that are addressed to both groups or as lawyers like to say, it depends. Uh, And we'll see that because there are things in here that certainly do appear to be more uh, centered on one group or the other. And, of course, the context will dictate uh, that to us. Uh, All right. With that having been said, we'll go ahead and go on into uh, chapter 1. We'll look here at verses 1 through 7, and we will look at Paul's initial greeting. Now notice he opens this in much the same fashion as he does all of his other letters. He identifies himself. But notice how he describes himself. Verse 1, he describes himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. In the language, he addresses himself first as a servant before he refers to himself as an apostle. I don't believe that's a coincidence. There could be a good little lesson there for us in how we are to view ourselves. We too, like Paul... We are bondservants. We are servants of Christ. Why was he separated? Verse 1, to the gospel of God. The whole purpose being to live and to proclaim the gospel message. But also... Look at how he addresses them as well. Notice he says, which, verse 2, he, that being God, promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So here he puts together the 
entirety of the Old Testament writings, the Law of Moses, the Psalms, the Prophets, uh, and a scripture I'll give you for reference sake, uh, they're Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. And it's there in that context that Jesus reveals himself to those who did not recognize him after the resurrection. And Luke there tells us that he expounded to them from the scriptures all things concerning himself, specifically the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And there you have the totality of the Old Testament. You have the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so Paul covers all of that uh, here in this one short, simple section. Uh, notice he also goes on as well, and he establishes that all of this is through Christ. Through him we have received grace and apostleship, watch this, for obedience to the faith. Now here's something that I want us to think about from the outset, and again, we'll spend more time on this as we progress in our study, but there is, and speaking of some of the false doctrines that have arisen from the book of Romans, there is this mindset of regarding faith and works, both of which are addressed in the book of Romans, but what they'll try to, some will try to do is they'll try to put the two against one another and try to make it either or. Uh, and again, we'll show that that's not the case, but notice Paul puts the two together. He says, for obedience to the faith. Well, where does obedience come from? Obedience comes from faith. And he will, I believe, establish that. All right. Uh, that's all I have there on verse, or actually one more thing I'll consider as, I'll give you to consider as well uh, before we move on. And then I'll open it up briefly for some comments or questions if anyone has it. But one thing here in Romans and really in all of the New Testament epistles, one thing that is absent from this, speaking of their faith, is that nowhere in any of this do we find reference to the size, or should I say the numerical size, of a first century church. The emphasis is always on their faith. I'll just give you that to chew on uh, for a little bit. But there, we see it there in verse 8 that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. All right, do we have any questions, comments on verses 1 through 7? All right, well, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll move on here through about verses of 8 through 15, and we are going to look at Paul's desire. Again, verse 8, uh, he commends them for uh, their faith. He expresses thanks to God for them. Again, a very common expression in uh, Paul's writings. And that too shows, I believe, a disposition that we should all possess toward uh, one another, giving God thanks for our brethren. All right, he goes on, uh, verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Uh, that would be really the entirety of his being. You know, you think about uh, the concept and the law of Moses, you know, love, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that, I believe, is what Paul uh, is expressing here, howbeit with different words, giving his all for the cause of Christ. 
that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. And here we go, making requests, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. And he's going to explain why in verse 11 that he desired to come, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. Now, what that gift was, we're not told, but given uh, that Paul, Paul's status as an apostle and given what is revealed to us, we can only assume that he is speaking of something of a miraculous nature. Uh, now, again, we're not told what it is, so we can only speculate about that, but we can draw that conclusion, I believe. And then when he says that you may be established, we could substitute that word for strengthened. He's already commended them for their faith, but he's telling them he wants it to be even stronger. And that too should be our desire. It should be our desire to grow and to strengthen our faith. And then verse 12, a third reason he gives that I may be encouraged together with you. He had this overwhelming desire to be present in person in the flesh with these Christians in the city of Rome. And it's evident from what we've already seen, he has likely never met any of these individuals, but yet his love for them, his yearning for them is so strong that he deemed it necessary to give an explanation as to why he hasn't come yet. That too should be another lesson for us. How, how strong is our desire to be in the presence of one another? Something that we should uh, consider. And then he explains in verse 13 why he hadn't come, that he had been uh, hindered another, <coughs> excuse me, sorry about that, I've trying to fight off the beginnings of a, and the beginning of and what I'm hoping is the end of a, a cold that came on me uh, yesterday. It appears to be passing, but just bear with me and I'll be nice and try to uh, cover my mouth. So, but uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, uh, there Paul speaks of desiring to travel, but he speaks of being forbidden by the Spirit. Uh, well, why was he forbidden? Well, we're not told, uh, but it may have something to do maybe with the various uh, persecutions and trials uh, that he had faced in his time in ministry. But then he goes on to explain again another purpose that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. So we can see that there was a Gentile sect, uh, sect here in the church in Rome. Well, what does he mean when he bears fruit? Well, you recall under the uh, law of Moses and the gathering of the harvest, what were they to give in dedication and in service to God? The first of their crops, their best. So what Paul is telling them is that he wanted to bring even more, that is, souls to Christ. So we can see the zeal and the fervor that he had to share uh, this message. He explains in verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor to both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Another way of saying that is that he viewed himself as having an obligation to all people. And notice he says, 15, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. What a great faith, what a great disposition, uh, and certainly an example that each of us should seek to follow. Then we come to verses 16 and 17, living by faith, and this is a passage that I'm sure many of us have committed to memory at some point or another. Uh, Jeremy, would you 
Read that for us, verses 16 and 17, please. For I, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, thank you. The power of God unto salvation, the message that saves. What is the gospel? Well, he's already made some reference to it here in the beginning. The resurrection, what else? The death and the burial. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel message. And we'll see that in chapter 6 uh, when we get to that. But here as well, he establishes that this is a message that is for all that is. Notice he says, uh, for the Jew first. Well, why for the Jew first? They were God's covenant people under the law of Moses. It was to them that the gospel was first given and then taken to the Gentiles. Again, not a coincidence at the hands of Paul. And then to establish this, uh, he quotes here, we have the first of many uh, quotations from the Old Testament. He quotes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4. Now, what exactly does he mean uh, when he quotes this passage? Well, obviously, he's speaking of the faith of the hearer. Now, some uh, will argue that he may be alluding to the uh, transition, if you will, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, faith to faith. Uh, but also, we need to, uh, need to consider that faith comes from where? From the heart. That belief and then acting upon that faith. Uh, for example, Hebrews chapter 11. We see all of those great examples, figures of the Old Testament, and every instance, without exception, they all did what God had called them to do. Why? Because they trusted and believed. All right. Uh, do we have anything on 16 and 17? Questions, comments? All right, uh, verses 18 through 32, the revealing of God's wrath. Now, this is something that a lot of people don't really like to think about. Remember in verse 22 of chapter 11, he's going to say to behold both the goodness and the severity of God. And we're going to see that now. The context in which Paul writes these things is speaking of the Gentile world. And then we're going to see in chapter 2 uh, that he is going to transition and he's going to talk about the Jews for a bit as well. Uh, but notice in verse 18, we're told what it's revealed against, against all ungodliness and righteousness of men, watch this, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. How does one suppress the truth? By knowing it, but refusing to obey it because they prefer the desires and the lust of the flesh over anything else. We're going to find out what that is. Because of what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Shown what? His invisible attributes, verse 20, when from the creation of the world at the beginning, are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Another contention that you'll hear sometimes from some is that those outside of Christ are not accountable. 
But Paul plainly says right here that these things have been revealed to them. Why? So that they are without excuse. So if you ever run across one who contends for that, please bring them to Romans chapter 1. And hopefully they will see uh, that a little bit better. Why? Because they knew God, they did not glorify him, did not glorify him as God. So these people, now what era of time he's talking about, we're not told, but maybe perhaps uh, probably in the time before the law of Moses. You know, we think about other judgments that we see uh, in the scriptures, for example, the flood. Genesis chapter 6 through 8, uh, we see the judgment that came on Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, just as a couple of examples. And so maybe those are some of the things that maybe he has in mind here. But think about that, because they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. That is, they refused to give him the proper honor and reverence that he deserves. Well, why does God deserve that? Well, he answers that question for us as well because he has revealed himself. Uh, professing to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. We see a lot of that still today, don't we? There are a lot of very well-educated people, educated by the world's standards that do not know God. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Uh, well, what else did they, or should we say, what did they not do? They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful they did not give God proper thanks for the blessings that he had given them despite their rebellion and disobedience to him. Their foolish hearts were darkened. I think about what Paul says to Timothy regarding those who turn away from the truth, having their consciences seared with a hot iron that is closed to the point in which Nothing will penetrate. And watch this, verse 23, and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. He's describing idolatry. We can make an idol out of anything. Uh, passage I'll give you again for consideration. Uh, Psalm 115 verses 1 through 8. Uh, for those that are taking notes, I would encourage you to go and uh, study that. But man has always had a tendency, or should I say a desire, to worship someone or something. And sadly, oftentimes it's someone or something other than the one we should be worshiping. And we see in the Old Testament numerous examples of when Israel, God's covenant people, uh, fell prey to this. But also I want to uh, think about a couple or three examples here. You recall in the book of Numbers when... In one of the plagues that came upon Israel, because of their faithlessness, we had the erection of the bronze serpents. And whoever looked upon them would be healed. When you go to 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4, and when you read there in that account of the actions of Hezekiah as king of Judah, one of the things that he did was he had those bronze serpents destroyed. Why? Because the people were worshiping that 
rather than the one who had saved them? Or have you ever thought about why in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 6, have you ever thought about why we're not given the precise location of where Moses was buried? And I'll give you another one. This is just something I've thought about from time to time. A couple more, and we could probably go on. Why has Noah's Ark never been discovered? Why has the physical cross of Jesus never been discovered? Just some things to think about. Then he goes on, uh, verse 24, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice that God gave them up to uncleanness. That is, he had revealed these things to them. They suppressed it, and so therefore he gave them over to their own ways. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, verse 11. Jeremy, would you mind to read that one for us? Yes, sir. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Just 11. Yes. Yes, yeah, so 2 Thessalonians 2.11, and in that same context, in that second letter to Thessalonica, Paul is making the same point that he's making here to the Romans. That those who suppress the truth, those who live in rebellion to God, God will give them over to their own desires. But also notice... Uh, what he says in verse 24, to dishonor their bodies among themselves in ancient times, especially bodily mutilation was a not uncommon practice of idolatry. Here we are in the 21st century. the denial of the existence of biological gender. What can we do now? Well, I think I'm the wrong gender. Bodily mutilation. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. That is, they gave up what they knew to be true and went with their own desires and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Another thing that has come along that, I, that I've been thinking about a lot is the push for the so-called green energy. And here's what I mean by that. When you listen to a lot of proponents of it, they'll tell you that it's to, quote, save the planet. Now think about that. Now that sounds good on the surface, doesn't it? Now God has entrusted us to the care of the earth. The, one of the first duty that he gave man in the garden was to dress and to keep it. I believe in good stewardship. I believe in being responsible and wise with the resources that we have been given. But when you listen to the manner in which some speak, it's the exact same thing that we see here in Romans 1.25, worship of the creature rather than the creator. God never commanded anyone in any period of time from the beginning up to the present to worship his creation. Man has been commanded to worship the creator. 
There is a vast difference. Then he continues, uh, verses 26 and 27 is probably quite familiar. For this reason, for what reason? That's answered in verse 25, because they'd exchanged the truth of God for a lie. God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now again, people will do all kinds of intellectual gymnastics to try to get around what Paul is saying here. They're the same ones he's talking about, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The natural order, and keep in mind here, Paul is talking about sexual relationships the natural order, that which is in harmony with nature, is the union of a man and a woman. So notice Paul makes that very argument because he says that they gave up the natural use or doing that which is against nature. He is clearly talking about practices of homosexuality. And it could not be any plainer. Then he continues, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Or we could just as easily say against nature. Why? Because their hearts were hardened and they had turned away from him. Here we can see that though something is well outside of God's established order, we see here the free will that God has given man to choose to do with his life what he will. It's sad the choices that many make, but we're going to see the end result of that. 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now that phrase there, all unrighteousness, is all-encompassing of what he's already to described, already described. He could have ended it where he did, right there in 27, but there was more to say. It goes on, um, sexual immorality, that would include, of course, homosexuality, which he has already spoken of, but other sexual perversions as well, fornication, adultery, incest, bestiality, pedophilia, any number of things. Anything that is outside of that established natural order is what is included here in this term sexual immorality. Then he's going to go on. Uh, wickedness, covetousness, that is the desire for something that is not yours. Remember in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Maliciousness, that is kind of the idea of having a desire for harm uh, to befall others, full of envy, that goes in hand with jealousy, murder, that is the willful and deliberate taking of a human life, especially of one that has done no violence. Uh, he goes on as well, I'm losing my place here, strife, uh, that is you know, one who causes strife is one who just for whatever reason, uh, has an overwhelming desire to create conflict. And there's a reason why Paul in his writings will warn against those who seek to cause division in the church. 
And I keep losing my place. Deceit or lying, evil-mindedness, they are what? Whisperers. Gossip would certainly fall under that category. That is speaking to others about another behind that one's back. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, that would certainly include all manner of crime. You know, we think about murder and other crimes that involve violence. Proud, that is full of pride, again, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Uh, boasters, one who has a higher opinion of himself than he ought. I don't think we've ever met anybody like that, have we? If we're not careful, sometimes it might be the one that's looking back at us in the mirror. Uh, so we need certainly need to practice humility. Uh, boasters, one who likes to brag. Inventors of evil things. We see a lot of that. Now just think about throughout time and again up to the present. The evils that man has inflicted upon man. All inventions of the debased and reprobate mind. Disobedient to parents. I see firsthand a lot the fruits of no parenting. It is not pleasant, it is not fun, but we see it, and it's in our, and I'm sure you do as well, that lack of respect for authority undiscerning or foolish, untrustworthy, one who is dishonest, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. That is, those who continue in this. But then he throws in the second category. Not only do the same, not only those who are practicing this, but also approve of those who practice them. That is, those who do these things have those who are condoning their practices. Uh, so, all right, well, that is Romans chapter 1. I appreciate your kind attention. Uh, and go ahead and be reading ahead, if you will. And God willing, next Wednesday, we will uh, resume in chapter 2. I see and hear uh, children conversing uh, there in the foyer, so I guess that's our cue to dismiss, but thank you so much.